Hello, and welcome to episode eight of the Bomb City Podcast. This episode's really exciting to share because it's my first interview outside of the Bay Area. My interview with Matchstick, creator of Matchstick Customs and Custom Vanner Magazine. Now, since he lives way down in the desert in Lancaster, California, and my good friend Bob lives down there, I asked Bob if he'd want to join in the interview, and I'm so glad he did. He really added a lot to the conversation. We had a great time down there. Not only does Matchstick run a custom van shop, and his own screen printing business, and a magazine, but he also has the extraordinary opportunity to work with Gene Winfield out at his shop in Mojave. So he was nice enough to take me and Bob on a tour of his shop and museum over there, and it was just mind-blowing. I'll be sure and post up all the pictures on the Bomb City blog. I am so grateful that Matchstick took the time out to talk to us. We had awesome conversations all throughout the day, so I'm really excited to share this one with you guys today. So here it is, episode 8 of the Bomb City podcast, Matchstick. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah, so I really wanted to hear about coming to uh, to California from Louisville. And we talked about it a little bit earlier, but... Yeah, like many things in life, there were many facets to my decision to go. And it was not... It was very difficult. I mean, it was like... I mean, Kristen didn't want to go. And I knew she didn't want to go. and uh, But uh, she wanted to be with me, so she came with me. And so it was really tough to... Let's like give away our stuff and pack it up and move and just say, this sucks now, but when we get there, it's going to be worse. It's yeah. going to be even worse. If you hate life right now, we're going to live in the desert in a junkyard. Yeah. And that's exactly what we did. And we lived in the double wide there at Jeans with other guys. And uh, we did that for like six months. Our bed was in front of the television in the living room. Uh, so Kristen's about as hardcore as it gets. Yeah. I mean, it was an extremely trying time, and uh, she's she's a tough cookie, but we love each other, and so that's what that's what you know makes it happen. So, you have to pay attention to that. We were <laughs> talking about relationships earlier, and they're difficult. Yeah. So, you know, but when you get to that point, there is no you; it's the both of you. And uh, uh, that was a, some advice Faye Butler gave me. You know, he's like, "That's you is over. It's you too." So. Try to keep that in mind. But yeah, so I decided to, to leave Kentucky. I had a pretty good job at Allison's Rod and Custom. I'd worked there for uh, about three years total. I'd been in another shop in between. and uh, I'd been to Faze and started to learn about material science, and that changed everything for me. And uh, Allison's was a really cool shop, but Keith knew that I wanted to be doing sheet metal, and we only had so much of that to be done. And it wasn't that uh, wasn't that they didn't want to do it. It's just in that part of the country, the kind of work that's coming in uh, are just guys that you know they sell cardboard for a living, you know, and they just want they just want a '70 Mustang, you know, and and then they they want a black '70 Mustang, and then they want it to have a racing stripe, you know. That's the kind of that's the breed of person coming to get the work. So it's not about. It's not like uh, they didn't want me to do that work there. They encouraged it, and in my last few months there, I they had a P6 Pullmax, and um, I got that running for him. And I, you know, I did some detail work and uh, a little bit of shaping on it. And uh, you know, I made thumbnail dies for the machine. I made my own joggle dies. I we it was a 440 volt motor, so I got on eBay and bought a step up transformer, um, and Keith's brother wired it and, and the buttons were broken on the on off switches and they're 50s GE buttons and I cast them I really wanted to make that machine run and they let me do that you know I, I took a switch home and I made a silicone mold and I, I poured a switch so if anybody needs a GE button I've got the mold 
for your Fullmax or any other equipment, you know. And so we got it to run, and it was funny because they have latching circuits, and it wouldn't it wouldn't engage, and I'd have to take a piece of wood and engage the transformers. <laughs> but the more I did it, and the more I ran it, it cleaned up, and, oh, yeah. and then the buttons all started work. And so I like brought this Pullmax back to life that its life had been in the ammunition plant in Charlestown, Indiana. Um, you know, probably just shearing plate or nibbling, just doing something basic. And I made some uh, parts for a Fox Body Mustang that we'd put a rear frame clip in. And that was cool. That was good stuff, and it was great to do, but I wanted to do a lot more like that. And we um, we didn't have a whole lot like that, and I wanted to uh, you know, I wanted to go to Gene's and see, see what it was like. I liked working with Gene on the road. We'd chop tops together at World of Wheel shows and weekends, and that's a big task. And How did you meet Gene? I met him at Moon Eyes. I was I when I started doing the magazine I'd come out here and uh, come with a friend and we'd get a booth and sell and Shiggy and Chico had said we want vans at Moon Eyes you know and so we came out to support Moon and Moon supported us and uh, I had a really long day I hadn't seen anything at the show and I was like I'm gonna go walk around and there was Gene selling his stuff and I was like look at this poor old guy <laughs> selling truck nuts and <laughs> you know trinkets and I was just like man this poor guy he's just like at the end of the road and here he is just still muscling it by himself and I had just seen the Pacifica online I didn't know he built it in 62 originally I thought it was a new creation it blew my mind I thought it was amazing asymmetrical headlights and the section job on the cab it's very cool and independent front suspension so I had just done a calendar. That was my issue five. And, you know, so I said, hey, some Conalines in here. I saw Pacifica. I thought it was cool. I thought you might like to have this. He was like, oh, thank you. You know, that was like my whole Moon Eyes experience was like seeing Gene's booth and watching everybody else break down at the end of the day. <laughs> uh, you know, so that was my first interaction with him. And then he came to Louisville and I was doing a pinstripers jam at Carl Casper 50th show. And uh, somebody said, hey, Gene needs posters copied, and they knew that I was in printing, and so they were like, maybe you can help Gene, and, and Gene didn't know that, and he's like, I need what's called cardstock. <laughs> I was like, I got you, no problem. So I got him some copies made for the next day, you know, it's a picture of a shop in Modesto that he signs and sells, and, and I helped him load the Pacific in because he got there late, and uh, I helped him get the truck in, I thought it was really cool, and we hung out, and uh, the next night, we took him to dinner at this place, Jack Fry's. It's like a pretty classy place in Louisville. It's kind of like a place like Scorsese would hang out or something. There's a lot of old <laughs> black and white photos on the wall. They have a guy that plays the bass and a guy that plays the piano on Fridays. And We took him to dinner real late there, and then we took him dancing at this place called Jim Porter's, which people call like the wrinkle room. You know, like it's, it's where the 40 and over crowd goes to get a date, and we took Gene there dancing until like 3 in the morning. You know, we're like, when is this guy going to be tired? <laughs> Never, you know. And he got a kiss from some girl, you know, on the cheek or whatever and danced. And so that was, that was how I met him. And so that weekend, he was telling us about his metal shaping class, and they were going to chop, who knows what, some land yacht of a car. And... And then he said, but next weekend I'll be in Chicago shopping a 50 Chevy business coupe. And we're like, what does that class cost? And he's like, nothing. You'll be there working for free. And we were like, okay, maybe we will. <laughs> so my friend BJ and I moved up there, and I was, I was living with BJ then. It was, I was right around the time I'd met Kristen, and I'd just moved back from western Kentucky. And I was living in, at BJ's house in his kid's bunk bed. Uh, you know, So I was like at a crossroad. I was like, oh. I had just met Kristen. I was thinking about going to Chicago or California, you know, anywhere but Louisville, you know. I'd already done that. I'd lived it. So um, so we went to Chicago and worked with Gene. It was amazing. And, and uh, 
you know, the car the car got done, and, and in large part, that's being there and working and putting out some muscle. I'm sure other people would have stepped up the plate if we didn't, but it was an interesting experience. The owner of the car yelled at me, um, and I I didn't even respond to the guy. I just let him yell at me, and I, I asked Voodoo Larry to straighten it out. I said, I don't know why this guy is yelling. Uh, who knows? I don't really get what it was about. And I told Gene about it, and Gene just goes, ah, fuck him. <laughs> you know so we finished the car like like we do we finished the job and and, uh, and Gene found out you know that I'd been living in a bus and he wanted me to drive this bus out to his place <laughs> and live in the bus because everybody lives in a bus or a trailer at Gene's yeah. you know he, he wanted me to do that and I gave it some thought and I didn't but I kept going to the shows I kept driving to World Wheel shows one Thanksgiving I drove to Houston which was you know like 1200 miles each way Gene always gave me like 100 bucks you know, he never, even when we went to Chicago the first time, he gave us like $100 because we were there very late Sunday and BJ needed to be home to pick up his kid and stuff and we didn't make that. But he gave us 100 bucks anyway, you know. And that's how he is. He never left us hanging. He always treated us right. And that, you know. So, you know, when he was trying to get me to come out of the shop, I was thinking about it. And he'd call me sometimes and he'd be like, hey, uh, you know, Rich Evans has got some TV work. You know, you can come do this show where... Um, there's going to be like six builders, six designers, you know, two teams, and whoever's car wins, GM's going to give you some money or something like that, you know. And I turned it down because uh, we were starting to work on a Riddler car at work, and I thought that they needed me there, and I, I don't think that they did, you know. Like I don't think it made any difference. That car's still there, and it's still a great car, but my input on it was nothing. I mean, I didn't do anything to it. I just was didn't want to abandon ship, you know. I wanted to help out and make sure things got taken care of. But uh, eventually, you know, the situation just grew stale to me. I didn't have a shop at home. You know, I rented a house with a garage, but my landlord used the garage. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, I just, things were just not looking great. So uh, I just said, why not go to California and spend some time with Gene, even if it's just for a year? Yeah. I'm sure I would learn some things and maybe, maybe I'd get a place out there and get some equipment and maybe when things fizzle out with jeans I can walk into my own shop and I talked to her with Faye and he seemed to think that was a decent plan and he he knew Gene he's known Gene for years and, and he respects Gene and he said you know I think he's a good guy and he takes care of his people and uh, and he's probably not very good with money That's, <laughs> he probably gets his money in chunks and um, if you can go into it understanding that and accept that part of it, then I think that you would have a great time. And, and I think Faye was very accurate in that. Um, and it has been. It's been. And there was there were some low points where I was like, what am I doing? And um, But it's golden. I mean, working with that guy every day is unbelievable. Yeah. How long have you been there now? Um, it's been, I think, a year and a half maybe. Okay. I don't know. I went out and I think... Uh, like April of 15, I went out by myself, and Kristen stayed home, and I worked for about a month. And uh, and we had just finished painting a van at Coop's house, that the van that's out back here that you guys yeah. saw. And so we had been hustling for like a month to get that done before I moved, and then moved out here and and uh, got paid because those people were local to California. So. so had you seen a shop before you moved here? We did. We drove out. Okay. Kristen and I drove out to see it, you know, because I, I wanted to go, and I was like, let's just go check it out. Let's see what it's like. So we went out there and yeah. saw it. And I've always worked at small businesses 
and they were always crazy places, and they were a little bit disheveled, and um, and I was like, yep, this fits in line with the <laughs> anti-reality that I've lived in for the beginning of my life. So this just it fit right in. It was the same. I don't I don't need my expectations managed. I don't believe that you need um, a state-of-the-art facility to get things done. Yeah, you I know? mean, for people who haven't seen Gene's shop before, it's. I was surprised the first time I went there. Like, I was expecting this really, like, big high-end shop with, like, a ton of bays and lifts and stuff. And I guess from working there, how would you describe Gene's shop? Um, it's, uh, I would say it's post-World War II body shop. You know, we use, uh, we use a little bit of lead. We use a little bit of body filler. It's an old wood structure. Yeah. Uh, we have an agreement with the fire department that if we burn the building down with our wood stove that... Uh, they are going to wait till it burns down. <laughs> you know, it's it's old. It's it, it, But it has always been what it is. It was a custom shop before it was jeans. Yeah. So the paint booth was already there, and it already said flames and paint jobs on it, and it said like something else, and I think Gene painted Mercury's over it. But <laughs> some guy dropped in like last week that worked there when he was younger, and they did wow. customs. So um, it, it's, it's interesting. It's a big shop and a little shop, and that's how we refer to it. The big shops were a lot of the... the the projects are at the cars are there and then the paint booths at the end of it and two there's kind of like two safe spots that are kind of shielded off from where all the metals flying and things like that and they're in an extension of the paint booth area and um but there's no like there's no real clean room it's the desert there's sand everywhere yeah. um you know the the lights are pretty good but it could be brighter in there i suppose <laughs> you know um but it's like any shop, the brightest area is a paint booth. You know, you get in the booth and you're like, man, look at all this other stuff I didn't see. <laughs> but no, it's it's old school. It's very old school. It's an old wood structure. The roof leaks. Uh, you know, some of the wiring's questionable in places, you know, and things are add-ons to add-ons. But it's, it's still a place capable of getting things done. And Gene always works to improve it. He really does. Like, it might look like a trash hole, but... Uh, I've heard it described as a much greater trash hole before I was ever there. Joe and Kyle worked really hard to make that place what it is, and it's functional. You know, we've got we've got three phase power. You know, and and so we our pull max and our grinders are three phase. The big the big thirty six inch grinder. <laughs> you know, Gene buys the tools, and some of them he buys for show. But I mean, he's got a P twenty one pull max. What more could you ask for? He's got a, uh, the latest model CP uh, planishing hammer. That's what everybody wants, and he's yeah. got it, and it's on a pedestal, and he's got a couple handheld yokes for it, you know, and, and those may have been things that he acquired just to acquire them because he likes to show people tools, but <laughs> I put them to work, and they work fantastic, you know, and he's not afraid if I'm like, Gene, we need a set of dies, or uh, we need stuff. He buys it, or I'll buy it, and he'll reimburse me. So it's an old school, it's a shanty town, you know, it's... <laughs> It's a it's a pile of parts out behind. We're we're a junkyard. We got five acres there, and there's a, it's a junkyard out back, and it's a little rough around the edges. And it's California, so the shears outside, the press brakes outside, all the brakes are outside. Yeah. Um, but they're fine. They're doing okay out there. And she repaints the tools. So, it's 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 a little bit rough, but there is you know, the people there do care about the things that are there. Yeah. So it's not a complete war zone. <laughs> When I went there the first time, and uh, thanks again for the tour earlier. Like, oh, you're welcome. I think I walked away 
probably more inspired to get to work in my own little space because it's like well if they're doing this work here what the fuck is my excuse for not banging out work in my shitty garage you know like what do they have here that's so unique besides just like a shit ton of talented passion for what they're doing yeah i mean (laughs) and that's that's the ode to gene winfield i mean gene's been a teacher to so many people that took it and ran with it you know guys asked me what his metal shaping class is like and I think it's a very unique experience, and he's not necessarily telling you advanced things, but he's uh, no one has the experience that Gene has. He's been in the industry since 1946, yeah. so no one else uh, has been in it as long as he has and can tell you what it's been like the whole time. I mean, he's a guy that fought it out in the 70s when it was dying. So, um, you know, he has taught a lot of people, and he teaches about basic metal shaping, you know, he talks about the English wheel, he talks about Lancaster shrinkers and stretchers and things like that, but he also has a unique position in that he can talk to you about the altering of an automobile body. Yeah. And he will talk to you about chops, sections, you know, uh, French and lights, things like that. And he's happy to share that. So he's, he's trying to make, uh, you know, it's, it's, I think it's an entry-level class and a lot of guys have taken it and run with it. And there's people... Uh, there's so many people that, that, oh yeah, I took that class years ago and that was my first class. And, and that's, that's what he's done. And Gene is an inspiration because he, if you were like, Gene, um, here's a claw hammer, build me a car. And, and Faye Butler says the same thing. Uh, Faye's like, I could build a car with a claw hammer, you know, I, I, and, and maybe those things are exaggerations, but (laughs) there are people that are skilled and they're determined. And, uh, and you know, I think that some shops, uh, are very nice and clean and have certain tools in them just to manage your expectations. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, to say that Gene doesn't do that would be a lie because he just bought a cast English wheel. I don't wheel anything. I, I prefer the planishing hammer. That's what I work with, you know. Um, the Pullmax and the planishing hammer are the two things I work together with. But, yeah, it's, it's a huge inspiration. And one of the guys at work asked me, you know, what I have here in the shop, and I gave him a very limited amount of tools. But, I mean, I, you know, uh, some of it I do at Jeans and bring it over here, but I can do quite a bit of work here with just the, what little amounts out there in that Quonset hut. Yeah. You know, and uh, the it just, you know, the space and the tools don't necessarily always make the project. It's what you do with them. Yeah. How I you utilize them. There's, like, I think some people will, like, wait to work until they have the right set of tools to do it, and that it's that's kind of like a bullshit lie to yourself. <laughs> yeah. To not do something you're afraid of. And it's it's cool seeing that at Gene's shop that, like, you need a, a die, you make one. Like, it's a it's a pretty inspiring shop in that way. Yeah. Um, some people don't give themselves permission to do things and to run with it. And, uh, and I've met people like that. And at times, I've been that way. Uh, sometimes you just get stuck on something and you're like, I need to get this thing. Or uh, There's been times where I've certainly waited to build a tool and then I didn't use it. Yeah. I was like, well, that you know, that was uh, the wrong idea, and I'll start over. And those things happen, but yeah, uh, there are definitely people out there in the in the home sector, you know, that that they want to do a project and they think that they don't have what they need, yeah. um, you know, uh, and I, I blame that on the media, yeah. you know, magazines. My dad is big on magazines, and he'll tell me stuff that he's read about all the time. I'm like, that doesn't really have anything to do with anything, Dad. You don't. You don't need this uh, rock tumbler to clean all your bolts or whatever. You know, I don't know. 
what some of these goofy things are. You know, you don't need to take a bag of walnuts and blast your car down. You can you can do it other ways. I think there's people they somebody told me there's a you know there, there's a huge liability in talking beyond someone's knowledge level, and I think sometimes the magazines do that. They'll create yeah. they'll create this line of dialogue about a method, and they're just trying to be informative and show a proper way to do it, not a you know, not a shade tree way to do it. They want to give you the good stuff and what the professionals are doing. And in turn, what happens is you just make people afraid to go out and try and make what little they have work. Yeah. Uh, and, but that's, uh, that's in the individual. Yeah. You know, you got to overcome it. Like you said, you left inspired. Sometimes that's all it takes. You just need some inspiration. You know, you go somewhere and you see something and, and I mean, as human beings, we look for inspiration in all kinds of things. So, you know. Hopefully people find it. And I think people see it out of genes. Here's a guy who's you know, 89 years old, and he gets yeah. up every day, and he really does. He comes into work. I mean, he comes in, and we work on stuff. And I mean, sure, Gene's not hammer welding eight hours a day. Yeah. I, why would you do that to him? You know, like, <laughs> that's so mean. But, you know, he comes in, and, and he sands his runs with me in the booth, or, you know, or we make grills together, or we, you know, discuss designs, and, we shave bucks together, things like that. You know, that's he's not afraid to do it. He wants to do it. That's what he lives for. So there's a lot of inspiration up there. Yeah. And seeing think, the old uh, tooling. I don't think a guy like him would still be doing what he does if he didn't enjoy it. No, not at all. And he's not jaded. He's not jaded by it. He, and he, he enjoys people. You know, he's really in his element at shows. And, I, you know, I think his pain is at home dealing with the shop because he doesn't <laughs> have to do the shop. It really doesn't do yeah. much. You know, he loves the shows and being out with the people. I mean, I'm not going to speak for him. He probably loves his shop, but I think that in the earlier days, they were able to do things differently and faster, and it was just kind of like weld this fender up and let it or mud it and make it look right. And we're in there, and we're like, Gene, this needs to be shaped, and it's got to look right. And we're, you know, uh, we just want it to be nice. And the level at which we do things now in this industry has escalated and oh, yeah. he's still he's still there and that's fine that's what he is he's a he's a guy from the you know he's, he's torn to those methods and that's he's stuck with them and that's okay but you know i think that's where people analyze the stuff and they say it's it's you know it's like rough or whatever but it's just i think that's just where it was then but how am i supposed to know that's that's revisionism <laughs> on my part so that's it's all speculation but anyway he's a great guy and he means well and man has he done a lot of stuff oh yeah and he, he teaches me stuff all the time things I never expected to learn you know uh, do, like doing the plastic taillights you know doing the bubble tops stuff like that I didn't know Gene did all that and yeah. I was just rooting around in the closet and found it and I was like wow maybe I could make uh, bubble windows for the vans like this and he was like he was in the pool there at the house <laughs> and I showed him what I wanted to do and he goes oh yeah that's fine that just build this shape here and then you put it in the oven and you know they'll come out great wow. <laughs> you know it's nothing to them so would you say that you've developed a friendship with him absolutely yeah Gene and I Gene and I are friends and we hit it off great he's he's got a, a good sense of humor and we joke around he he loves to bust balls yeah he <laughs> he has no problem with that whatsoever you know <laughs> I mean there's I can't tell you how many times like you know, he'll be hammering something and Kyle will yell out, you know, hit it with your purse, you know, <laughs> just all kinds of stuff. He's he's a joker. He, Yeah, we get along great. And Gene, Gene reminds me a lot of my grandfather. They were born within months of each other. They were both oh. born in 1927. And uh, 
my grandfather passed away in 08, but he, they, you know, they were, they were, those people were cut from a different stock. Yep. That was a different time. And, yep. and grandpa and Gene, they reminded me a lot of each other. And, um, you know, my grandfather made, uh, burial vaults and septic tanks, you know, concrete forms and things like that. And he built all of his own beds for his boom trucks at a wow. quarter inch diamond plate. And he built the booms and the chain drives. And he, uh, you know, my dad said that grandpa pioneered the, you know, mobile, uh, vault trailer for cemeteries. They would walk things in with tripods. And so, um, my grandfather's, uh, brother-in-law worked at Magnavox in the defense division and gave him a gear drive for a bomber door. And he mated that with, a, uh, a transmission and he attached a, a flywheel to a transmission output shaft and he would engage this, this motor for this bomber door and uh, and he would drive the transmission like that, and so he had several oh, gears to drive this this cart through the cemetery, and wow. so that was the beginning of vault trailers. Wow. Uh, and he was, you know, he's the vice president of Doric Burial Vault Association, and uh, you know, and, and he he was a guy that he did it himself, you know. Um, and Gene's the same one, you know. They're just guys; they have no choice but to get the job done. Yeah. You know, my grandfather took that business over from his father-in-law in 54 and they were i don't know like thirty thousand dollars in debt and that's a lot of money in 1954 oh, yeah. Yeah. and you know i said dad you know how how would you run a business that far in debt at that point in time because i wouldn't want to go jump into any business right now that's that far in maybe that's not a lot of money but for small businesses it's it's tough to build up that kind of capital yeah and uh, he said well you know grandfather tended bar when he was younger and he gave rides home to people that were important that wouldn't have made it home and when it was time to borrow the money they loaned him the money and paid it back when he said he'd pay it back you know so it's a different time and they were you know that was what you did you did what you said you do and you get it done and the gene is is that same way and i really appreciate that you know um guys that just you know necessities and mother of invention those you know, my grandfather and Gene weren't out on forums like, do you think I could build my own boom bed? And then having someone talk them down off off the ledge, well, here's why you can't do it. It's not safe. You know, uh, there wasn't any of that. Yeah. They they did it, and they were, you know, they were for the most part, I would say, aside from people that may have been around them, they were free of other people's ideas. They, they had their own ideas, and they could follow them, and they weren't clouded by the judgment of others unless they were surrounding themselves with these people, whereas now, you know, you're overloaded by the Internet and just, you know, you want to post a picture. Yeah, you know, you want to post a picture of something you've done, and you may find the best expert on the internet on that thing that you did they're ready to tell you why you did it wrong just shit all over it for you yep exactly and and that's where for me that's where science came in because you you see all these things and you read all these things and you're like what is what what's an old wives tale what's real what's not and so that's where going to fay and learning material science in the beginnings of it and you know i I work on it here at home. You know, I didn't just yeah. do it at phase and emulate it there and then go home and do the same things I'd been doing before. Uh, you know, I wanted to learn and I, I, you know, bought books and I read and I still read. And for me, that's what coming out here was. Coming to California was taking time off. Uh, you know, I wasn't a guy that thought, I'll work at these rod shops and after five years, I'll open my own rod shop and it'll be better than everybody else's <laughs> rod shop. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I wanted to build a custom van for myself, and I wanted to, 
work on things, but then I realized what could be learned and, and you can become a real craftsman if you learn the science because then then you're not um, then you're not just doing some trick. You know, I, I remember being at Allison's and these guys came in. Keith had worked at Ford, and so we would get these guys from Ford just drop by, like who knows who they were or where they met him. But I remember these two guys came in, and they worked at Ford, and they kind of reminded me of like the old men up in the gallery of the Muppet Show. You know, yeah, and they're just like, come in, like, and but they tried to offer us this little, like, I don't know if I was welding on stainless or something, but they're like, yeah, you know how we find out how to not get that warping on, on stainless fish oil? <laughs> you rub fish oil on the panel it's like why would you rub a contaminant all over your weld surface or even if you're not even putting it in the weld area and you're still trying to dodge the heat affected zone what kind of black magic is fish oil in, in weld metallurgy what does putting an oil from an animal outside of the heat affected zone do for the weld Nothing that I know of. Yeah. Uh, you need, you know, <laughs> you need chemistry in the weld puddle. You don't need goofy stuff rubbed all over your panel. So, you know, so those are things that that's, you know, that's the things I think of when I'm grateful that I got the chance to go work with Faye and, and learn from him. And he inspired me to learn more. And uh, to me, we live in a very meaningless world um, and we have to create our own meaning and purpose because... Absolutely there's really nothing to it. You could sit on the couch and play Candy Crush all day and watch your life go away. And you certainly wouldn't have to work as hard as some people do. You know, people just do whatever it is they do, whether they admit it or not. And some people's passion is getting by doing nothing. But for me, it's, uh, other than the people that I love, uh, you know, and this may seem like a bleak outlook, but there's nothing else, you know, it's the, the people I love and doing work, working with my hands, making things. That's all I enjoy because otherwise there's so much hate and anger out in the world and so much stupidity and it just makes me so sad to see it and I can't block it out. And so for me, if I can just stay in the present and work out in the shop and keep my head down, that's where I feel okay. But, you know, you either... If you give your mind time to wander, uh, you know, this is something that Faye told me and it helped me a lot. He said, you know, given the chance to wander, the mind will go places it shouldn't, like our dreary past or a future that hasn't happened yet. Yeah. And it's really no good doing either. Just stay in the present and just work. And that um, that was a huge side effect of going to Faye was that he discusses the psychology of a craftsman. And it, whether it's a craftsman or not, psychology in general. And um, he recommended a book to me on psychology, which uh, I have on my shelf, and I'm, you know, trying to delve into it. And because he said you, you'll see things that people do, and maybe things you do, and you'll think they're strange, and then you'll read about them, and then you'll understand that maybe they're not so strange at all. Huh. They're very common things. Hmm. But uh, we, you know, he told me that we can learn about people uh, and the way that they behave, and uh, the same way we can learn about material science and metals and things like that. And it's important. So. Um, you know, this part of my life is uh, I'm trying to educate myself. I want to learn more about the materials I work with and understand why I work with them. Not to be an intellectual and to be condescending to other people because I certainly run into people that tell me things and I just say yes and I don't argue. I don't want to argue with people. I don't need to be right unless they insist, unless it's, 
in my shop and they want me to work on their vehicle and I have to explain why I may not do that to their car Mm -hmm. or why that's unnecessary or why I don't have a 55-gallon drum of fish oil. (laughs) Uh, But it's just, it's for me, it's just, uh, it's just uh, understanding things, you know. Um, Has it always been something that you've been interested in, just, just learning whatever you can, like whatever interests you or? Well, I certainly have a mechanical mind. I, I worked a bike shop from the age 12 till I was 17 when I switched to the print shop. And and so uh, we were rather industrious children. Uh, <laughs> the bike shop had two locations, and the owner didn't know that he was paying kids cash to work there. It was through our manager, John, you know, that we were allowed to do this. But we had a friend, Bob Akers, and he taught machining at New Albany High School, and he we would say, Bob, we need this 14 millimeter axle. We need you to mill two sides of it off so it'll fit in a 3/8 dropout. And that was a thing when bikes were still 3/8 and 14 mil dropouts. Uh, you know, people wanted a 14 mil axle. Only slotted ones were just a thing. They were a fad and they were terrible because they cross thread like crazy. Right. You know, but we were taking these. You know, they were already hardened axles from DK Hubs, which were popular, and we worked with DK a lot for parts. And we would have them machined. You know, and um, we would take quarter inch plate and take angle grinders and we would make these sprocket guards and bolt them on. And it was popular to like grind on your chain and your sprocket at that time, run a real heavy width chain. And, uh, and I would take grandpa's diamond plate that was left over from those burial vault beds. <laughs> it was old and it smelled so bad. Like it smelled, and I remember it very well. It was like, and because we're poor, we had a lot of stale candy bars. It smelled like when you open a really stale Hershey's <laughs> from Big Lots, you know? That's what that metal smelled like grinding it and those wheels. It was so pungent. And we would, we would barbarically make these chain guards, but we'd package them and sell them in the bike shop, <laughs> you know? And so we were always into stuff like that and, uh, and, and learning the mechanics. And we wanted to be better at working on bikes. And that's what we did. John let us build bikes. That was our manager, John Molnar, and, and he extended a lot of, uh, he gave us a lot of rope, and, but he would never teach us how to lace wheels. Yeah. So I got mad one night and I went home and I laced a wheel and I came in and I was, you know, I don't know what I said, but I kind of like put it in John's face and I was like, what do you think about that, you know? <laughs> and he said, well, I don't know how you're going to put air in your tire because you put a cross over the valve stem hole. <laughs> you know, so, but I, so I had failed and I had to relace the wheel, but he finally... When I went out on the limb and I did it myself, he gave me that nugget. He said, you always start right after the valve stem hole so that you have space to get an air chuck in and air up your tire. And if, and the reason he wouldn't teach us to build wheels is he said, I don't want you sitting at the front front case all day building wheels, doing yeah. nothing. Because that's what he did. Right. <laughs> you know, couldn't take his job away. You know, uh, so there it, it was just, you know. It was, uh, we always wanted to be better. We wanted to be good at what we did. We wanted to be great at dialing brakes in. And we wanted to, you know, back then all the bearings were pressed in. But, you know, so that was, like, not really crazy. But taking stuff apart, taking bikes apart, you know, using weird makeshift tools. or There was always that aha moment using, like, like Park. They make great bicycle tools. And using Park tools, you start to see the beauty in tool craftsmanship, like a pedal wrench. You know, it's very narrow, and they're hardened, and they fit... And they're two-sided for the two popular sizes of, of bicycle pedals. And you just see these things, and it just starts to come together in your mind. And, and you know, later I, I would make T-shirts for BMX Clothing Company. And even uh, in high school, I drew a CAD drawing to make handlebars and solid bikes. 
manufactured them for us, but it was off of my own drawing. And my friend's dad machine shop put up the money, and uh, I don't know if we ever paid him back or not. <laughs> I have no clues. Probably not. I don't know, so long ago, but still, it was, we worked hard at it, and uh, and we had a good product. And I still have a set. I'll always keep them because it was it was a cool project to do. And and so at that point, at a young age, I was like, well, hey, I guess you can get things manufactured if you just come up with the original. You know, you can make it. So. I don't know. I had a lot of interesting experiences like that where where I think that older people afforded me some respect that, you know, I otherwise I don't know, excuse me, how I would have got it. And we got to do things like that. Yeah. You know. That's cool. Uh when when did vans come into your life? Uh that was that was when I was nineteen or twenty. And I had left the bike shop when I was sixteen or so and I was kind of between both for a little bit and I still rode my bike everywhere I didn't start driving until I was 17 so I rode from Indiana to Louisville which is about 8 miles you know I'd ride my BMX bike across the 2nd street bridge and uh, and I could take the bus but I could beat the bus yeah. <laughs> I'd sit around and wait for it like I'd miss the stop and I could ride to the next stop before I ever got there and so I was like so unless it was just raining I'd just ride my bike and I'd go there any day I could get off from school to go print and so working there, it was the punk rock print shop. You know, we printed for all kinds of punk and hardcore bands. And the, the, the guys there, I just, like, looked up to. I thought it was the coolest place ever. And, uh, you know, as soon as I showed them something I'd printed at home, they were, put me on a press. Yeah. And uh, so I just started working there as much as I could. And we were all in bands. I was in bands then. I was in bands in high school. And... Uh, that was our thing. We played music all the time. We went to the skate shop. Our drummer was much older than us, and he was the drummer. And he owned the skate shop, and so we had a room in the back, and it wasn't always busy, so we'd play in between five customers <laughs> he got a day. Yeah. Uh, so being in bands, naturally, when you get a little bit better and older, you're like, let's hit the road. So you got to get a van. But, yeah. you know, Dad had always been in hot rods, and I wanted a hot rod too, and I don't know, I was trying to decide what I needed to do, and I wanted this, I'd wrecked a car, I'd wrecked a Ford Explorer I had with a trailer, I fell asleep on the highway, Jeez. and uh, we had played a show, and we pulled this little 6x3 U-Haul, it was a 60s U-Haul trailer I bought in Tennessee, and it had this weird mesh door on the back, like when I bought it, the guy was like, see, it's got this gate if you want to haul goats or something, <laughs> you know? Dad and I bought it and hauled it back on a trailer. You know, like Dad helped me out to do stuff like that. We spray painted it black and put a white top on it and put new tires. And it was, you know, it was weird the process to go through to do these kind of things because, like the the axles, like the hubs were weird. And this little trailer shop in New Albany like machined the centers out of these wheels for me so I could put on some new wheels and tires. Like it was just crazy. Uh, people. We'll have you know just go out of their way to help you out like that it was bizarre to me thinking about it now like yeah. it's like you know 18 year old kid and they machine this trailer wheel for me just to sell me like a 60 dollar wheel and help me out it was so nice um you know so i, I had this trailer and had a ford explorer and i we were we'd played the show for like a plate of spaghetti and <laughs> and it was so bad and we drove back and we had two drummers in the band and so matt had to be back for school you know for college and we had to be back from Dayton, Ohio. It was like four or five hour ride. So we basically didn't sleep at all. It was like a yeah. wink, you know, and drove back and got into Metro Louisville, 
um, in the fast lane, um, pulling this trailer, and I was all stressed out, giving up my safety space I'd normally keep, and it was lightly misting, and fell asleep and woke up, and traffic was stopping. Oh, so man. I slammed on my brakes and went from the fast lane to slow lane and smashed the guardrail, bent my drag link and my frame, and somehow still drove it into town that way. <laughs> I could make three quarters of a turn, it wouldn't <laughs> do anything, but I crept it into town because I couldn't afford a tow. And so... I was like, well, now I gotta get a van, I guess, or I'll just get a hot rod, you know. And they're like, all there was, there was like the '79 Nova down the road that was like a thousand bucks. That was all I was gonna be able to afford, yeah. you know. It was probably about a thousand dollar car, and so there was an '83 Chevy van for eight hundred bucks, and it was a one ton. And these people had just moved furniture from Lexington to Louisville in it for yeah. their family, and it seemed like a pretty good deal. And so my mom helped me buy it, and uh, I mean, I had no money. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds lame like $800 car my mom helped me buy it but I mean made like 250 bucks a week at the print shop we, somehow we lived like thousand heirs but we <laughs> we had no money at all and so mom helped me buy it I paid her back whatever so that was it that was the beginning you know I, I had gone to car shows with dad forever and I never never saw a custom van I didn't even know that the big three made flat front vans so I saw a post when I finally found Vanna.com. I saw this post where this guy, Leadfoot, was building this van, a Chevy van. With, he put a Toyota motor in it. He was getting like 30 miles a gallon. But he was like, oh, I hate when people ask me if it's a Volkswagen. And I'm like, but what is it? I don't, you know, I don't know. And so it just, my mind was blown. And so I started seeing all these custom vans. and Because that was what made me want to get the van. I was like, well, I could put Kragers on it and headers and, yeah. I can enjoy a little hot rod fun. And so that's what I did. And so I got this first van, and it was a window van. Windows aren't cool. <laughs> you want a panel van, you know, to have art on it. So I, I joined Bluegrass Vanners of Louisville, Kentucky. They've been around since 76, and uh, they turned out to be some of the best friends I've ever had in my life. They were the only people that ever said, if you need anything, we'll do it for you, and followed through. Uh, and it really warmed my heart, and they took me out on the road and started, even though I'd been out on the road in bands, that was okay, but there were too many personalities in music, and they were kind of the same personality, which was, unless you're someone I need to know, I don't need to know who you are. Yeah. You know, and just people are very self-centered, and it's just ah, so boring. You're like, you're just playing a really shitty band like <laughs> or are you playing some marginally talented band and unless somebody else that you care about told you that I am also in a marginally talented band you don't care and I was like it is so worthless like what a, a lousy chain of command like so I was tired of that quickly and uh, and I, you know I was just okay at being in a band I'm just an okay musician I love playing guitar I play all the time but self-taught and I just write my own stuff and that's fun to me but that I, I miss playing music a lot but the van club was so much better because we were uh, granted vanning is is uh, I would describe it as like party oriented because you are going out to a big shindig but that's not the you know you don't have to drink or anything the cool part was that we were driving the closest event for us was two hours and we would drive up to 12 at the drop of a hat. And anything beyond 12, then we'd start to consider it economically. You know, we'd say, can we do this? You know, who, who in the club wants to really do this or should we go do something else? But we're going to events that have been around for 40 years and we're supporting other clubs. And I always tell people that uh, 
vanning is like a perpetual 50-50 raffle. <laughs> you know, you just go support each other's clubs. And that was great. It's such a nice community. And we were driving through these amazing parts of America. And like my dad had been a truck driver for about a decade and he would take pictures from the semi and I would turn them in in high school in my photojournalism class. And <laughs> and he would always tell me, call me and tell me about what it was like out on the road and what things looked like and how amazing it was. And I, it, that first year of Hanning, I was like, I called him. I was like, you're right. This is the way to see America. Yep. This is amazing. This this country is beautiful, you know. And that was I remember that coming back from Tennessee. Uh, it was it was Cherokee, North Carolina, uh, actually. But coming back through Tennessee, I remember calling Dad. I just loved it. It's beautiful, you know. Those first two years of Anning, I went to eight events a year, and like I said, the closest one was two hours. The rest were a haul in that first year, you know. I went that one in Cherokee, North Carolina was supposed to be my last run for the year and I won a 50-50 raffle or I won a pre-reg to an event two weeks later on my 21st birthday in Iowa and I was like I guess I gotta go I mean I was very broke I got home with like no money I think I returned with $20 in that trip but these things were eye-opening I was just driving by myself listening to music and and being out on the road and um trying to get more than 14 miles a gallon out of my 350 with 373 gears and that was difficult that was slow um and it was just it was interesting it was so different uh, than anything i'd ever done and the, the people were great and the adventures were something else like going to iowa you know i stopped to buy some whiskey because it had already been my birthday it was my birthday and i went to a tandy's iga it's a small grocery store from the midwest and girl's like this doesn't look like you and I was like oh that's funny because it is me and I was like did you notice that it's my birthday and she's like uh look if this is a sting I can't afford the fines and I was like I wish that on my 21st birthday I drove five states to have a sting on your Tandy IGA but I promise I didn't and she's like all right well look don't drink and drive, and before you go to bed, have a big glass of water and two Tylenol. And I was like, okay, thanks. You know, this is always weird stuff like that, and the, the events, and seeing how vanning is in different areas. Yeah. You know, because again, they're 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 kind of like a party. I mean, it's you drive to a campground, you spend the weekend there. There's a show and shine on Saturday, but that's only for a few hours, so we're not like showing off our vehicles the whole time. But people are comparing notes, and yeah. you know. How'd you build your bed, you know, or, you know, you got a TV monitor in there. What do you, what do you got? You know, how's it set up? All kinds of different stuff. And it was just a very low-key vibe. I had enjoyed it a lot, you know, from the get-go. And so I quit the band and just went vanning. I didn't have to haul equipment. <laughs> I knew where I was going to be. I already knew I was coming home broke. I didn't have a false expectation of making any money. Uh so it was it was different and it was good. It was a fun time. So would you say that the so it, it was the culture really that attracted you more than the bands itself, or was it you saw the band and went you saw custom band and went oh holy shit this is amazing and then the culture is what sealed it for you. Yeah, it was definitely the van that, that brought me in. Uh, that's the common saying that people have is is it's the vans that bring us together and the people that keep us coming back and. That's 100% correct. There's no real other way to put it. I mean, the vans are cool, but not everybody's driving of custom. Some of them are conversions, and some of them are downright, you know, 
garbage trucks. But, <laughs> you know, that's not really what it's all about. It should be focused more on that because uh, you can't leave the van out. And some of the people are getting older and they want to bring their campers and their pop-ups and they want to, some people want to stretch it to their RV and they can get the hell out. But, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a very diverse crowd, a lot of funny nicknames and stories and just things that, and then, you know, you hang around and then all of a sudden you're a part of the stories. And yeah. uh, my friend Frank Costa, he's been vanning since the 70s and he was near this club and they wanted him to join and it took a while to get him to join and he did and they were like, you're going you're gonna to grow old with us and now it's just him and one other person left in the club, you know, and he's like, I did, I did grow old with them. <laughs> And that's not a bad thing at all. And that's kind of where I'm at, you know. Just here I am, you know, eight years later and still doing the same thing. And I'm like, no sign of stopping, no reason to. That's my people, yeah. you know. When did you get started with the magazine? Uh, I started the magazine in 2010. Started working on it then. Yeah. yeah. Um, like late, I think late 10, like fall. There was, there was some banning magazines around then, I imagine, but... Yours was definitely unique. Um, I guess what were you trying to do differently with your magazine? Like what what drove that whole thing? Well, uh, with the vanning culture being so small and tight knit that uh, the magazines were all you know uh, predecessors of another. There was never any competition. You know there yeah. weren't two mags. Um, only now is the first time since, well, let's say maybe the very late or early 80s, I'd say. Now is the only time that we've had multiple magazines again for Van. But uh, it was, you know, just to give you a quick progression of what happened, you know, yeah. it was huge. Late 70s, it started to fall apart. And then you started to see boats in Van magazines. Boats and, <laughs> and there were always some trucks, you know, Vans and trucks and then... But what happened on if you watch the cover of Vans and Trucks, which is one of my favorite magazines, I have tons of them. I really like them. I like the layout. They're not they're not totally square. They don't look low budget, um, and they just have. I think that the writing's good, and it's, some of it's very funny. Um, and Custom Vans was one also. Terry Cook was involved in both of those, and he made those interesting. Um, you know, when he left Hot Rod, he lent his name to Vans and Trucks, and then later Custom Vans as a writer and. Those are cool. I like those. But what happened after those was uh, vans and trucks. The they started to get the vans was much larger on the vans and trucks logo, yeah. and then trucks got to be equal size on the front of the cover and said vans and trucks on the same bar, and then it said trucks and vans, <laughs> and then the vans are gone. And there were boats and goofy stuff, and so. You know, you, it dis, it just diminished. But that doesn't mean Vanners weren't still there. It was just that what had happened was the 2% movement killed the National Street Van Association. And when they split town, that took a lot of bigger sponsorships with it because it wasn't like this family-friendly thing. It was pretty raunchy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, not everybody wanted it to be that way, but that's where it went. It took money with it. Magazines disappeared. But then you had grassroots stuff. You know, you had National Van Poon, you know, which Camel was a big part of. And I have some of those, and they're great. They've been given to me by older vanners, and they're very fun. You know, guys like Larry Gibson wrote in them, and uh, Blaine Dixon, uh, George Cattell. You know, you had the and club. Uh, there were club newsletters, like the Midwest Vans Club newsletters. I have some of them. They're pretty funny. And so 
you know, back in the day, if you wanted to find another van event, you had to go to a van event and get the flyers for it. And then, to me, those books became the media outlet, and you had to get them, and you had to go to events to get them. And so that's kind of like the 80s, essentially, you know, some grassroots stuff and club stuff, and just being in the loop. That's what kept it going. And, and the publications were, they were photocopies. And I love photocopy stuff. One of my favorite artists is Art Chantry, and he's pre-computer and, uh, you know, copy and paste kind of stuff and paste-ups. And, and so, like, these books, these, these publications were so amateur and, like, had, like, werewolves <laughs> put in them, and they were just really funny. And they were good, you know, because, because to me, photocopy amateur work is so much more interesting than Microsoft Office amateur work. That's... <laughs> That's really bad, you know. <laughs> um, so then, then in the '90s comes in Vanning Now, and uh, Vanning Now was all black and white, and that you know the only thing that they suffered from was just you know lack of technology. There was no digital printing to do a full color book. They they did a great job. It was all black and white. It was good writing. They put it out on a consistent basis, and but that's another hang up with Vanners. When money's coming in, people are like, well, "Where's the money going?" Yeah. And you become an evil character. You know, they're just so against money and it's so stupid um, because it's just so self-destructive to the to the whole culture. Um, but that's how it is and it remains that way. It's very, very destructive towards people doing things like that to advance, you know, but whatever. That is what it is. That's the nature of the game. So Vanning now ran for a long time. They did a great job. And then that, that kind of petered out for a few different reasons. Um, that I've heard, and we don't have to go into them because that's not my story. Sure. So then comes Vannon Magazine, uh, run by Leadfoot. And uh, Leadfoot just, he worked hard, he tried to do it. It was done on like an inkjet printer. Yeah. And, it, you know, they didn't look great, and they were collated by people at events. So the same <laughs> people that were going to buy it put it together. That's really grassroots. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, so things were real screwy and weird about it. And I think he did like six or seven issues, and that was that was tough, you know. And there were things about it that I did like. Yeah. Um, and that was all there was, and he did a lot of writing, but the layout was horrendous. <laughs> and uh, and Eric eventually folded up, and Eric was being helped by Wookie and other people. And so Wookie called me and and said, let's, let's talk about doing a magazine because... We're not going to be able to help Eric. He, you know, he's just not interested. So, let's talk about doing something. So we did. You know, that was that was what brought it along and what made it different. Which was your question. I've kind of gotten, <laughs> I've digressed here, got way further back than what was different. But what is different about Custom Banner Magazine from the things that that came before is that it was a full color publication. Um, and it was DIY, but it wasn't extremely DIY. And the big difference was that, uh, you know, compared to Vanna Magazine, was that I had an education in printing and yeah. graphic communications through vocational school. But, um, you know, I, I was running, we were being trained on offset presses, letter presses, um, you know, both like windmills and arbor style presses, uh, you know, for letterpress. And we were doing offset one and two color stuff, you know, running envelopes and basic things like that. And, but we were also being trained on a digital press, which is a copy machine with a feed. You know, it has a rip that you can send files to it. And uh, so 
I could print things digitally and stitch them there at the school and trim them up and do whatever I wanted. I had a whole printing company at my fingertips when I was in school, and, and I was, you know, I was very inspired by my instructor, Delbert Hillegas. He was a fantastic guy, and he wanted me to do stuff. And so when I was graduated and I wanted to do this book, he was there for me, and he made it happen. And so what we had was uh, we weren't, it wasn't my goal to document vanning. Uh, I just, I wanted to show some cool trucks that were a part of Vanning, but I didn't want to cover the people so much. I, I love the people, but you go to the event and you meet the people. Yeah. I do, I do like that aspect of it and we have done it, but I wanted to dip into history. I wanted to feature some vans that I thought were nice vans. Um, you know, things that you might see in van and I, you know, there's some really garish trucks out there that I just don't want to display for anybody. <laughs> and... Uh, that is a discussion into design and, and doing things just because you've never seen it done. That's yeah. a whole other conversation, but which we can get yeah change. yeah which we can get into later. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was just different because I, I feel like uh, I had an idea on how to do a DIY book and get it out there for a few bucks or whatever five bucks something people could buy, and I wanted to cover DIY stuff. Yeah. When I got into vanning and I would get on vanning.com and see, I'd go to the how-to section and I would read every how-to I could. That pumped me up. You know, guys like Super Beast and uh, Catfish and just these, you know, all these, you know, individuals were just doing crazy stuff. You know, they were doing chops and Super Beast took his late model forward and combined his sliding door with his front door and mm -hmm. removed the pillar and had this giant opening door. Oh on his dually late model Econoline with a clamshell back door. And, right. and that was a sharp truck. And uh, that kind of stuff was, I was like, wow, <laughs> that's really cool. You know, and seeing Goldwing doors and seeing people doing it at home. And like, I was like, I can customize my own van. Yeah. Um, so that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to talk about DIY stuff. I wanted to get people pumped on, on building vans. That's cool. I mean, that's, that's what makes it fun. I think the first, issue of your magazine that I bought, I bought because I knew there was an article about doing a Goldwing door and I wanted to see how that actually worked. It's a, it's cool and like what you were saying earlier about learning metallurgy to become a better sheet metal fabricator, it's really interesting that this like follows that directly in parallel, like you learned printing to, to make a magazine better. It's a, and it shows like just in the way the thing's put together, like it's a, it's a nice magazine. Uh, thanks. Uh, I mean, it's there's definitely, if you look at all 11, there's a very obvious progression. And then issue 11 jumps, I think, like 10 steps ahead of anything that I was doing. But that's because Scott McGrath laid the whole thing out. And that's what Scott does every day. And I, and I would consider myself, you know, a graphic artist. But Scott is just, he's just better than I uh, at typography and, and just like composition of a page. And I respect his opinion. I don't necessarily always go with what Scott tells me, but having him do the book was amazing because I love what he does. I like what he does with headlines, and sometimes he'll do something that's just so simple. And I'm like, man, you just you're the guy, you know, you're the man with the eye. And but I wanted it to, you know, I designed some gig posters and things like that, and and you know, I designed my own T-shirts for years. I mean, I worked at a shirt shop, you know, to make my own shirts, <laughs> you know. And I did it at home before that. So I'm, I'm not afraid to do stuff. I mean, I designed my own logo. It was the Vans and Trucks logo with an angled chop roof and tubbed back wheels. Like, you know, because I love Vans and Trucks. So that was homage to that book. So 
you know, I did it all by myself. I mean, Wookiee shot photos and virtual shot photos, but I laid out all the pages up until issue eight, and that's where Scott started helping. And then eight, nine, and ten. Told you there'd be something. <laughs> Working on the railroad outside. I guess. Uh, hopefully we can lead off from that. I don't know, but anyway. Yeah, we can take a pause if you want to circle back to. to yeah, what is it? Is that out in my lot? Rolling again? You ready to go again? Yeah, we're rolling again. Right. Um, so I think before we took a break, we were talking about the magazine. Fuck if I remember where we left off with that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. What 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 can I tell you? What would be helpful? I think I was I was gonna ask. What do you think's next for the magazine? Is there any other? Or a big step you want to take, or another bit, something in particular you want to cover? Uh, in the future going out of business sale. <laughs> uh, no, not really. I don't. All I ever wanted to do was was provide people with DIY information, and I didn't do it in every issue. And um, I think what I found uh, was that maybe. People don't want to do it themselves. Uh, if anything, all I've done is shown that I can do it and you can hire me to do it. And that's really boring to me and it's a bummer. You know, Even Scott, I was talking about some how-tos I wanted to do and he said, uh, more boobs, less bore. And that bummed me out. Because this last issue was the first time we did any kind of nudity at all. And I was just like, really, man? Like, that's what you want? Like, I, I don't know. Maybe he was joking with me. I, I'm not sure. And that's just where I'm at like that's I don't care like if I want to see tits it's on the internet like it's a google away yeah. I mean sure it's cool like you look through car mag and there's a chick with a car but that's no part of reality like there's not it's, you know, it's a big downer for me like the the whole like inherent sexism to car culture like you can't get away from it in magazines like where in the hell can you like yeah zombie that does traditional riding culture he or maybe I'm saying that wrong. And yeah. Sorry for the offense, but he said that every time that they put a woman on the cover, it sells better. But I'm not on the newsstand. I'm not taking ads. Yeah. I don't have to do anything I don't want to do. So, you know, I, I made an effort to produce a magazine that anybody could read anywhere. And so, but that just sounds like a recipe for something really bland. Um, <laughs> So, you know, we, we were 10 issues in, so issue 11, we did some nudity, and, and there were some people that approached us with, you know, photo shoots. Like, I don't go out like, hey, lady, you want to get naked on this van? Or, and, like, I think nudity is extremely difficult to pull off. I would rather just see maybe suggestive uh, photography and clothing. Like, that's what's, what's underneath is maybe more interesting um, than just, like, oh, here's a set of boobs. You know, there they are. Like, so I don't know. What's what's next is that um, we're talking about doing a best of of the first ten issues and just going through and maybe talking about what it took to make some of them. Uh, yeah. Not that I don't know. Maybe nobody gives a shit. And why should they? Who cares? It's just a van magazine. What does it really do for the world? Nothing. Yeah. You know, it's not. It's not. There's no. There's no mission statement. It doesn't provide any value to anyone other than seeing more of what they enjoy, which is a van. And uh, we talk about events, and that's it. We provide maybe a little bit of support for events and clubs we like, and that's it. So we talk about doing a best of because we took the the back catalog down. Yeah. 
they were available for years, and I did them through a, a uh, you know, print-to-order kind of place, and that was fine. They drop ship them. They always did a fantastic job, and only a few times did things get lost, and they helped me replace them. But, uh, you know, if people order a shirt and magazines, I've got to ship the shirt and then drop ship the mags, and I pay for shipping twice, and it's hard to really calculate that, and I hate to mark them up. Because I can't justify somebody paying me like $15 for issue three because it's not that great. It is interesting. There's some interviews with, that was the art issue. I interviewed this guy that used to work at a van shop where they'd paint like six vans a day. Yeah. And that was cool. It was interesting stuff. But that issue sold for $5. But this place charges me 20 cents a page, you know. And so then you got to like, you got to add it all up. And then you're like, wow, uh, this time I've spent in my life making this uh I'm only ever going to sell this many and I get like a nickel for it. You know, and it's not, I never did it to get paid, you know. It it was just something to do. That's why I don't take ads and I don't really try to push it in people's faces and even on like our social media, which is just Instagram. Facebook is a crock of shit <laughs> for <Agreed>. business. <laughs> Nobody sees that. Yeah. They don't want anybody to see it unless I give them $5 and then, you know, then Kristen just sees it 15 times. <laughs> so... You know, to hell with that. But anyway, Instagram, I mean, we have, what, 13,000 followers, and I still sell the same amount of magazines ever. And, you know, it doesn't, it equates to like, you know, four or 5% of the readership buys books. Yeah. And I don't care. We get new people all the time, and that, I'm happy to have them, and I'm glad they enjoy the book. And we want to, every time that I make a mag, I want it to be nicer, and I want people to get something cool. And, that's that's it. That's the end result. So the future plan is to, if we can, that's why we switched the format. The format now is no longer a saddle stitch book. It's perfect bound. And we've jumped up to 60 something pages. And that was to give people a bigger book. If we could only do one a year, I wanted it to be nice. And because I failed in my fiduciary responsibilities as uh, heading up subscriptions, uh, I wanted to give people extra stuff. So we threw in a flexi disc that Vandits from their van club from Calgary, Alberta, they covered huh. Fu Manchu's boogie van and pressed it on a flexi disc That's cool. and gave it to everybody. Huh. And so that was really nice. Like, so they threw in that extra for everyone. They wanted it for the subscribers, but they made enough that everybody, pretty much everybody that ordered got one. And, um, we threw in a poster that was a shot I took from a lake in Ohio, and it was a lineup of all these mid-dodges. Um, and we threw in some two new trading cards. We do a set of trading cards, and again, they're just fun stuff. And I just like to immortalize my friends' vans. That's yeah. all it is. You know, we just put them in print. So just hopefully some more mags. And it's not, it's, it's not my job. I mean, I have to treat it like that to get orders out and, and you know... Uh, with working and trying to work on some people's vans and do the books and the, and the web stuff and all the printing. It's a lot to do, but I manage and people are usually really, really uh, understanding and they're super chill about it. Yeah, and, well, they're they're there because they like you and what you put out, you know? like Yeah. <laughs> and they've been, you know, totally understanding. No, but not Maybe a few people wrote me and were like, you ripped me off. And I... In those cases, I sent them, you know, T-shirts and sweatshirts. I mean, I sent, you know, I try to send people something the equivalent of what they spent because it's not my goal to take people's money. 
I, I don't mean to do that, you know, if some something goes wrong. So usually I try to tell people or I ask them, I say, what would be a, you know, a resolution to this problem? Yeah. And I think usually I can I can do something because it's I, I certainly don't need somebody's 30 bucks like I, I work, yeah. you know, so we're just trying to keep up with it and do something nice. But I am trying to be an approachable individual. It's not ever been my goal to become a figurehead. And to become a personality, uh, that just came with doing the stuff. So, you know, I don't, you know, people can come to the van event and hang out with us. That's what we urge, you know. Yeah. I don't want to be, I'm just the dude, you know. I don't want people to think that we're like, I'm not like, over here at Custom Banner Headquarters. Yeah. That's not the deal, you know. <laughs> over here at our trash hole, <laughs> you know, you can come hang out with us and we, we want to hang out with you. That's our deal. So it's we try to be a little more down to earth than you know I don't know what most people's aspirations are today in you know small business because there's so many small businesses and everybody's yeah. trying to hustle and it's not what I'm after I'm I'm trying to become a metal shaper and and work on vehicles and expand my mind I just don't want to give up the book and I like writing it's, you know so better pictures better stories. More vans. That's what's. I think that's what's on the horizon. I don't know. Awesome. Did you want to talk about the about the shop? Sure, that's fine. So yeah, well, uh, where did where did Matchstick Customs, your little your shop out here, come from, and what are you hoping to do with that too? Uh, you know, it just started as a joke. I made some yeah. T-shirts. <laughs> it was just funny. Like I made the shirts that said like welding, painting, and they said fiberglass. I wanted it to say fiberglassing. Yeah. I just wanted it to all say ing, <laughs> but then I didn't like people. I'm from Kentucky, so I think I'm a stupid hillbilly and probably try to tell me it's not a word, so I, I left that out, but it's the, you know, the shirt I've always sold was just a joke. It's my buddy Punch's van. It's his Econoline, and it has a flat tire. It's a picture we took before he bought it at somebody else's house, and it's, you know, the typeface is a big daddy typeface, and so it's just kind of a nod, and it was just a funny shirt, and so that was all it was before, because, like, I worked out of my buddy Spence's garage, and he was gracious enough to let me make a mess in his garage for a long time like you know we laid up fiberglass doors in there and I, I gold winged some of my earlier doors there I did his his was the first door I did that wasn't my own and uh, we did a lot of stuff over there and it was just you know I don't know what we were doing I made some molds and all just we did some who knows I don't even remember what all we did over there it was a crazy time and it was gnarly like I have put an air compressor in his shop and brought over a big bench and tools and then we put a fridge in there and then all of a sudden we had a place to hang out and work and there was always a van in there. My van was even in there before it was mine. It was, you know, somebody else's and that was our deal. It was like, you can't have your van in the shop if it's not being worked on. And nobody ever abided by that rule. <laughs> so that we had that one towed away before it was mine. But, uh, you know, it just, <laughs> it's just me. Yeah. You know, and really, this is this place here is my first shop that's mine, and it's fantastic because I can do things the way I want and when I want. So if I wanna, if I wanna do some glass or if I wanna do some sign painting or striping or do some welding or whatever, that's totally up to me. And I've got my screen printing shop in the back, so I can jump between things and just do creative things. But like I said, I'm still. I don't know. I feel like I'm schooling right now. You know, I'm still, I'm still giving myself room between working at jeans and doing small stuff here that I'm trying to 
not take on giant projects or anything. I just want to work on developing my skill set and getting getting the tools I like. Um, so you know, right now, and it's it's unclear whether we'll stay here in California or not. You know, I'm here to work for Gene, and I love that. But business wise, is a tough state to be a business in. You know, uh, it's higher taxes. Kentucky, it's a lot cheaper. So you know, I could I could pack it all up and go back to the Midwest. But I don't know if the works there. Yeah. You know, I don't know if the rates rates certainly aren't the same. So who knows? I was just you know I'm just trying to keep up with the magazine and, and everything. But it's nice having a shop to do work for people. Yeah. You know, we've picked up some small jobs installing hood scoops and putting in bubble windows and um, you know doing some stripe work and uh, just it runs the gamut and it's nice. But I don't have any desire to do full builds I don't yeah. like full builds I've seen the people I've worked for get totally ringed out on them you know and just totally get taken advantage of and, I mean that's what a shop's about it's doing things and putting your name on the whole thing but that's not what I'm set up for here I'm, I'm set up for short jobs yeah. so that's what I take on I'm not I'm not out there trying to fish in a full build because you know I don't know how long we'll be at this location and that's just not what I want to do I don't uh, like don't want to get tied down like that but if somebody wants a rocker installed or they want to get some windows <laughs> removed from the side of their van or they need you know something that I can knock out and get it out of my way I'm happy to do that that's fantastic so I don't know right now I'm just trying to not get in over my head with things and take on things that I don't have the facility for even though I did those things at other shops you know sometimes it you know, somebody says, oh, I want to do this or that. And you'd be like, yeah, I've done that in the past. No problem. And then you're like, wait a minute. I, we had a table there. <laughs> and, you know, we had a frame machine or like we had at least had a dozer or like, you know, we had a booth or whatever. You know, I'm in a Quonset hut that I can jam two vans into. So, yeah. you know, I don't want to get carried away. But it just, it was just a joke. Yeah. <laughs> it was just fun stuff. So I, I did think of something else I want to ask. Bob, I'm going to need your help asking because it's been a long day and I'm not used to this desert heat. <laughs> but I imagine you have an interesting perspective on it. Like when you talk to old hot rodders and customizers, a lot of them see vanning as the death of hot rodding and customs. Uh, this is what I was asking for your help. <laughs> um, having the experience that you've had with vans and working with Winfield, I, what's your, what's your take on that? Like how do vans contribute to custom car history in general? Well, I mean, certainly from the car world, the perspective is that vans killed it, but I think that's a scapegoat because yeah. Detroit killed it. You know, they brought on smog. Well, they didn't bring it on, you know, the government brought on smog regulations and so cars got choked down. Yeah, muscle cars, the, uh, or the muscle car era didn't help either. Yeah. As far as customs were concerned, even hot rodding, because why build a hot rod? We can go right to the dealership and buy one. Yeah. yeah. You've got the lower top and the wider wheel flares and just all kinds of things that, you know, you maybe wanted before that you paid a guy like Gene or Bill Cushenberry to do. And uh, hey, here you can go buy this stuff, and and that's what that suits so many other people. They don't want to pay to have a custom built. They just want to go buy the thing and participate and especially at that time. Yeah. But what the deal was, was that it was politically a rough time. Gas was high. And as my friend Joe puts it, he's an older vanner. He said people were sick and tired of being sick and tired, and they just wanted to go have fun. And so you buy a van for 3500 bucks, 
and put an interior in it and get some guy to stripe it. And it doesn't even have to be crazy. You can just outline the panels on it. And you're out. You're in the scene. You're doing it. I mean, if you did a if you did a custom van of any nature, and it was pretty much a finished truck inside and out, it, you could get into a magazine. There were so many magazines. It was so huge, so quick. It it just exploded. But it wasn't. It I don't feel like it had any effect on the hot rod world. I mean, I wasn't there. How the hell would I know? But. <laughs> I don't think I, I think that's a total scapegoat. I think that that's a, it was a totally different crowd. Yeah. You know, it's all about camping and stuff. But um, it's funny to think about that. Like, you know, vanning is about going to a campground and hanging out. But you know, the guys I used to live with in Western Kentucky and I worked for, their favorite thing they looked forward to going to the hot rod reunion that Holly hosts in Bowling Green at Beach Bend Park. That was like their highlight. Can't wait to go because they loved the camping part and hanging out. And I was like, you guys don't have any idea what we do because you just want to be a vanner. If that's what you enjoy about this trip, you could go to a van event and do this. But I, I'm not trying to convince those people to do that. I don't, you know, you can't get people to do stuff like that. But Beach Bend Park was the site of the biggest van nationals ever. There were 10,000 vans there in 1976. You know, there's a BFG video on YouTube called Freewheel, and they did a video. BF Goodrich paid for it and showed all these trucks rolling in. It was it was not it was not the catalyst. It was purely the result. Yeah. You know, and anybody that says otherwise, I think, has uh, an incorrect perspective, and they don't know. And most people don't. They have no clue about vanning whatsoever. They think it died. Nothing just disappears. Yeah. You know, that'd be like if I hadn't seen a model train in thirty years, and I was like. <laughs> Oh, I didn't know people still did model trains. That's crazy. <laughs> I, th- I thought they were all gone. How stupid would I be? You know, uh, it's like somebody tried to tell me that they stopped making vinyl records. And I was like, what do you mean? Every band I've ever been in, we pressed a record. Well, in the 90s, they stopped. I was like, how many 90s records do you want me to play for you right now? Because I'll get them out. I think they're pressing more now than they ever did. Uh, I mean, it's yeah, insane. Yeah, and and there's even, like, somebody wrote me the other day and mentioned to me that they had found a place that still made 8-track tapes. And I was like, oh. man, I thought for sure production of that was out. But there's uh, there's always got to be that one shop hanging on. And for records, that's United Record Pressing in Tennessee. You know, United is, like, the place to go with unless you want to go press with Pirate Press and the check and watch them dump their chemicals into the drain, you know. So, you know, United's the way to go. It's just... Uh, I don't know. I just think it, it's it's. I mean, that's a huge tangent there, but it's <laughs> it's silly for people to blame something they don't understand and don't like on the demise of something they love so much. Yeah. But I think they're totally unrelated. And I mean, Gene, you know, Gene is still there. Gene knows about vans. He painted vans for studios and stuff like that. And like, you know, if if it was killing Gene so much, he would have started a van shop. Yeah, <laughs> he could have made big money at it. He'd have been a master at it because it was just like making fiberglass parts. You guys came to the shop and saw how yeah. many molds he has out there. He never even had to touch it. But Gene got into you know Winfield Special Projects at that time and did muscle car stuff and um, like that B and M Camaro that we looked at that was pink and purple. Yeah. And uh, uh, you know he survived and it wasn't anything to do with that. You know, or he would like I said he would have jumped on board with it. I'm sure. Um, just like all those commercial entities did then, you know. Just, did. Yeah. Yeah. I saw an an, ish, an ad in an old vanning magazine from the 70s. It was like, you know, George Ferris' custom van shop. 
and he was selling all these parts and stuff. They did the movie, The Van. Yeah. Oh, did they? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, he, they built the vans, and JoJo's in it, and JoJo's in, uh, I think, Corvette Summer also, and, like, they did, or, and George, George did the van, wait, yeah, George did the vans from the van, but then George did Supervan, and he's yeah. in Supervan, and he built Supervan, you know, and so, like, yeah, he jumped in on it, like, you know, so... It wasn't, but yeah, I don't think that one led to the other. Like those guys are the people that say that are, are I think just bitter that there's you know any kind of like van attention. It's like hey, we are, we're already the redheaded stepchild of the automotive world. You don't need to make us feel any lower. And, and then it's usually those guys that are like, well, I did have one of those vans at some point. You know, it's like you know I don't I don't get it. I don't understand. People, I've seen people post, you know, when will the van trend be over? It's like, just close your eyes and look the other way. Don't worry <laughs> about it. Like, when's your trend going to be over? When are we going to rip your pompadour off your head? <laughs> you know, when are you going to stop pretending to be something that never existed? Like, you know, go join the Sha-Na-Na's if it bothers you that much. Like, you know, you, you have nothing going on in your world if all you can do is analyze somebody else because they're enjoying something. So... You know, do your own thing. You know, I don't. I don't get it. Yeah. But yeah, vans killed hot rods. <laughs> Completely. So in summary. Yeah, uh, it was it was definitely the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, it was like, a, you know, the nail in the coffin, for sure. And it was intentional. We we did it. That's what all the meetings are for. Yeah, that's what that's what the, the council councils are about. Yeah, we get together and we're like things people like. How do we kill it? <laughs> And that's what they did. That's what our forefathers in Vanning did. They, they, they led the strike force on hot rodding, and they were like, okay, NSRA, huge event every year. We are going to go and ruin it. And so that's it. You know, Disney Day, Van Day at Disney, the whole van, the whole parking lot at Disney full of vans. That was a, a strategic maneuver because it was keeping hot rods out of the parking lot that day. And so, you know, that was that was pretty key in the, in the movement there and killing hot rodding because you know people that own vans would never also possibly have a hot rod or a motorcycle and they, we were trying to kill motorcycles too yeah uh well the big blind spot is pretty easy we did best with roller skating roller skating's out yeah. you know, we brought in roller blades vanning benefited from that huge huge amount uh you know i think that's it you have yeah, yeah, I don't questions? know where we go from there. Yeah. So. Uh, I mean, I don't know. But, I mean, we got the, the gotcha question in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we finally sealed that one. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. If there's that, what else do we say? I mean, do you want to talk about, do we want to, do we want to get into the brains versus brawn? <laughs> that's a long yeah, one. I was going to say, the conversation could probably go for another hour. That's, that's a tough one. Yeah, well... Thank you very much for your time and for giving us the tour of uh, both shops, man. I had a great time out here today. Yeah. Oh, and thanks, Bob, for hopping in on the on the interview. Yeah, no problem. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's thanks been a pleasure. Day. Yeah, we had a good time. That's cool. Yeah. Right on. All right, we made it to the end. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you, Matchstick and Bob, for the interview. I had a great time talking. And I'm sure we'll pick this up again soon because there's still so much more to talk about. I had such a great time. Uh Matchstick was such an interesting person to talk to because the uh, the energy that he takes on new projects with is really inspiring. I mean, I think we could all learn a lot from that. You know, if, if you don't know the way to do something, put in the time, do the research, ask the questions, 
and figure it out. Maybe all of our projects will look a little bit better and we'd all have a lot less barrels of fish oil sitting around. Thanks for listening.